You're listening to sermon audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com. I want you to go ahead and turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 19 in just a minute. 2 Kings uh, chapter 5, verse 19. Most of us uh, have heard of historical and world-renowned Genghis Khan. He was the first emperor of Mongolia and reigned in early AD 1200s. And by the way, the name Khan actually means, uh, it's like saying king of kings. Uh, Actually blasphemous when you put it in the biblical context. And ironically, uh, some accounts say that Genghis died by being struck by lightning. Uh, But then along two generations later comes his grandson, Kublai Khan, who reigned in the er, uh, late AD 1200s. And he took his grandfather's conquering to a whole new level. Uh, He ruled Mongolia and all of China, all the way down South Korea area parts of Persia, I believe Iran, but you can study all his conquest. I won't give you the full history lesson this morning. But like all men who call themselves king, his life had a sad ending as well. And in the conquering years of his life, he tried several times to defeat Japan. We have a map of this attempted conquest here. Of course, he used forces from uh, China, uh, from the south, and Mongolia to the north. Matter of fact, We're talking about 900 ships from the north that came in uh, on the first attempt. And in the second attempt, he sent another 900 ships from the north uh, with 40,000 Korean, Han, and Mongol troops from Masan and 3,500 ships with 100,000 troops from southern China. Uh, And, you know, these ships were like they were 249 feet long a piece. These were big ships, but there was one problem, all right? He never defeated Japan, and the problem is this. This next picture here, these boats didn't have kilns tall enough to battle the uh, typhoons that were common off the coast of Japan. So in each of his attempts, the, the ships sank. There's actually... Um, ruins that they have found of these ships from, uh, from Kublai Khan that had sank trying to get there. And it, it, the reason is Khan, Kublai Khan was in a rush to defeat Japan. He got ahead of himself. And so that put China in a rush. And so they were just using any boat that they used for the canals and for uh, common close to shore trade. So they just used every boat they had and the boats weren't equipped. But to the Japanese from their standpoint, They thought it was something else. They didn't think it was poor ship design. They thought it was something they call the divine wind. They thought their gods had blown down the typhoons and sunk the ships. Uh, And does anybody know what divine wind means in Japanese back then? Anybody? Kamikaze. Kami meaning God and uh, kazi meaning wind. So kamikaze means divine wind. But there was nothing divine about it, right? Except that the Lord allowed it to happen. And of course, we all know centuries later, the pilot kamikazes were used to take down U.S. ships in World War II. Uh, And by the way, they only had a 19% success rate. 3,800 plus kamikazes lost their lives in that war. But here's the deal. 
It was just bad ship design. It wasn't a divine win, right? It was people making hasty decisions without God's advice. And it's ironic that the origin of kamikaze dates back to hasty decisions. And there's a story of a man named Gehazi, Kamikaze Gehazi, who most definitely was full of wind. <laughs> He's full of something, uh, but his show wasn't divine, all right? It was just a poorly engineered plan, and I want us to read together 2 Kings 5. We're going to begin in verse 19. Don't get thrown off. I'm going to summarize these first 18 verses, and then y'all will join me. All right, 2 Kings 5, 1 says, Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. So he, he, he gave victory to his whole country, but he was a leper. And, and for those that have been here for the last two weeks, you know that God healed him in a miraculous way. In verse 15, he returned to the man of God. Verse 17, Naaman said, for from now on your servant, he's referring to himself, will not offer burnt offerings to sacrifice to any God but the Lord. And, and Elisha said to him, go in peace. And this is where we pick up verse 19. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, see, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, is all well? And he, Gehazi said, um, all is well. Um, my master has sent me to say, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim, two young men of the sons of the prophets. Boy, what an elaborate lie. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. Verse 23. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him and tied up two talents of silver in two bags with two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. I mean, you gotta be wicked to follow other men carrying your stolen property. <laughs> Verse 24, and when he came to the hill, he took them from their hand and put them in the house and he sent them in away and they departed. He went in and he stood before his master and Elisha said to him, where have you been Gehazi? And he said, uh, your servant went nowhere. But he said to him, did not my heart go when the man turned from his chariot to meet you? Was it a time to accept money and garments, olive orchards and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male servants and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out from his presence, a leper like, like snow. I would ask Kendall Dungan to come and ask God's blessings on our message today. Kendall's bringing two up here with her. She, her and Peyton are due with their second child, a little girl, in five weeks? Five days. No, no five weeks. <laughs> all right. That's all fine. right, we all pray. Dear God, thank you for this day that you have given us and bringing us all here this morning. God, I just pray that you would be with our friends and family who are out traveling this week. Um, God, I just pray that you would prepare our hearts and our minds this morning to receive your word um, and that you would just speak through Went as he um, brings the message. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kendall. All right. 
Well, 2 Kings 5, if you've not been here, we've divided it into three parts. We've, we, uh, two parts. We've covered the first part in the last two sermons, and that was the deep fake Naaman who became an authentic believer. And today we're going to cover the seemingly authentic who was revealed to be a deep fake. And just by way of review, we looked over the last two weeks at the salvation of Naaman. First, we, we saw two big uh, things here. First, we saw God's effort in bringing just one soul to Christ. We looked at all the victories God gave Naaman. We looked at the people God involved in Naaman's life. We looked at the affliction God allowed Naaman to have. And by the way, God's affliction of Naaman set the course for his salvation and for God's glory. 2,900 years we've been telling this story uh, about Christ. Gain from pain, victories in the valley, affection in affliction. And that's what happened for Naaman. The affliction of God led him to God. The salvation of Naaman came with God's effort. But praise God, it also came with God's remedy. And that's what we looked at last week, the personal decrease of Elisha, who sent a messenger out to meet Naaman because he knew if he went out, then Naaman would would praise Elisha and not the God who healed through Elisha. Remember, we said John 3.30 last week, he must increase and we must decrease and part of God's remedy is our decreasing our credit and increasing God's glory right and then we saw Naaman's personal desperation he's used to giving all the orders not receiving them but his desperation overrode his frustration with God's odd prescription some of us don't like what God's word says and the prescription that he gives to us But if we are desperate enough, we'll obey it. And by the way, it wasn't the water of the Jordan that healed him. It was the prescription of the Father that healed him, (laughs) right? God's will, God's way. Then we saw lastly the personal declaration, five statements of declaration that Elisha made. First, he returned to the man of God because he wanted to share testimony. He, He went all that way back to just say, hey, look what God has done. Then we saw in verse 15, he said, I know I know that this is God. So he's, that's a statement of certainty. And then third, he offered gifts, which of course Elisha wouldn't take, but still it was a statement of gratitude because redeemed hearts want to be generous toward the work of God. And then fourth, verse 17, 2 Kings 5, 17, he says, I won't sacrifice to any God but the Lord. And that's the exclusivity of God. Friends, you can't tell your wife you love you, you love her, you know, put an arm around your wife and tell her you love her while you got your left arm around your mistress. That don't work. All right? There's one true God, and those who are true followers of Christ worship him alone. And then finally, verse 18, he asked for forgiveness for having to enter the temple of uh, uh, Remen. Or, or, he, basically, he's, he, part of his job, Naaman's job, required him to go into the temple. And he was going to have to bow down. And he's letting Elisha know, hey, I don't want to do that. It's part of my job. I don't want to be there. But will God forgive me? And, and of course, Elisha says, go in peace. He knew he was a new Christian growing in his faith. Uh, and I believe in my sanctified imagination, there was a day that came where he wouldn't go into that temple anymore at all. But so that's, that's been what we've been uh, talking about. God's remedy always includes personal decrease. I'm less, God's more. Personal desperation. I'm unclean and I need cleansing. And personal declaration. There's no God but one. And that is a picture of authentic faith. And not much can make a a lie stand out better than an authentic believer. You know, that's why the world's uncomfortable with us. 
<laughs> That's why there's this weird, odd, unusual hatred toward the things of God. That's why you can't pray in schools, but you can have drag parties. You know, there's, it's, it's peculiar. And it's peculiar because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's supernatural. So stop trying to figure it out with, a, with your logical little country mind. It's, it's a spiritual warfare that we're battling. And there's a lot of deep fakes in the world. And now I'm sorry to say it's time to look at one. <laughs> the spiritual con artist we call Kamikaze Gehazi. We've seen the salvation of Naaman, but now we're going to see the condemnation of Gehazi. The commander was delivered, but now the deceiver is condemned. Naaman wanted, remember, Naaman wanted God's will his own way, but Kamikaze Gehazi wants God's wants his own way to look like God's will. Gehazi sinned with every part of his being in what he did. And the, it started with his blind eyes. 2 Kings 5 verse 20, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God said, see, my master has spared this name in the Syrian, doesn't even like him because he's a foreigner, in not accepting from his hand what he brought. Church, don't miss this. Gehazi didn't even acknowledge, not once, the spiritual testimony of Naaman. When he speaks of Naaman being spared, he's only seeing it from a financial standpoint. He doesn't even see the fact that Naaman was on his way to hell. That Naaman's heart has been rescued. Not just his skin, his heart was rescued He's become an exclusive God worshiper and he doesn't even see it. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty one, 21, woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. You've seen all these glorious things and you still don't want to acknowledge me? Church, did y'all know Israel's at war right now? And I know Israel's been at war before, there's been wars and rumors of wars since the beginning of time. But I'm telling you, if you don't notice the days coming closer, we dare, we dare, we're never going to name a day that it's going to come because we don't know. But you got to think when you look at the global effects of sin, and it's, it's right here, right now, right in our schools, all around us, in our homes. And we don't need to have blind eyes to it. We need to wake up and see the miracles of God in the midst of all this. You remember that Elisha, when he was surrounded in that valley, um, and, Eli and Gehazi was scared. We assume that was Gehazi, right? His servant, his mentor, the guy he's mentoring. And he asked God, Elisha asked God to reveal to Gehazi the, the chariots around them, the angels that were surrounding them, the armies of God. And God did that. That's the same guy right here. It's scary what he saw. 2 Kings 4.25, we see the healing of the Shunammite woman, uh, the Shunammite son. And so here she is, a mother. She's desperate to have her son healed. She's going to do whatever it takes. And verse 27, 2 Kings 4.27, when she came to the mountain to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and Gehazi came to push her away. Disciples did this a couple times too in the New Testament. They didn't get it. 
But the man of God said, leave her alone, for she is in bitter distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. Gehazi isn't just blind to his own sin. He's blind to the miracles of God, which he witnessed firsthand. <laughs> and so I just want to ask you, church, <laughs> Do you recognize, do you see the miracles of God and does it change the way you live and think and serve Him? If it doesn't, you're no better than Gehazi. Wake up and look at the miracles of God over and over. He's showing up in our lives. Gehazi is under the waterfall of God's blessing and doesn't seem to care. And who would have thought that Naaman's servants who had less witness of God's power personally would show greater faith than Elisha's servant who had seen so much of it. And just as Elijah had discipled Elisha, what did Elisha get from him? A double portion. So the power and strength that was in Elijah, he got a double portion of it. And there's nothing to say that Gehazi wouldn't have gotten a triple portion if he'd asked for it. He's his mentor, but his lethargic attitude toward ministry and miracles was blinding his eyes. Just imagine the God who pursues you, the complex puzzle of people and events and action plans of God to bring you to salvation and repentance. Imagine how complex that is. We've looked at just a little of Naaman's complexity here. Imagine the most thoughtful and sacrificial gift ever given being opened in front of the giver only to be cast aside. That's exactly the attitude of Gehazi toward the things of God. May it not be ours. Blind eyes and second, Kamikaze Gehazi had an arrogant mind. Second Kings 5.20 says, as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something. Friend, did you know it's a sin to declare to God your will? <laughs> it's not a sin to ask God for things to be his will. <laughs> Lord, please let the healing of my child, please let the healing of my friend, please let the salvation of my family be your will. I believe it. That's in a, those things are in agreement with the Lord, right? But it's a sin. Uh, Jesus instructs his disciples in Matthew 6, 9, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, your will be done. Jesus says in uh, John 5 verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. He's not saying, Jesus isn't saying, if God, because he is God, if God wasn't part of me, my will would, it, I would sin. What he's saying is, I am an example. The only way to please God is to do his will. And I'm an example of that. Jesus says in John 6, verse 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus, uh, just before he died, just before he was crucified, he prayed in Luke 22, verse 42, Father, if you are willing if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Now, obviously, again, with the power of God in us, uh, in repentance and faith, and by the authority of the, the word of God in and through us and the spirit of God in us, we will resist sin. 
We will overcome temptation and we will be victorious at the day of Jesus Christ. We will endure to the end. The work that God's begun in us, he will be faithful to complete it. But all those statements are in, in agreement with the Bible. Statements God's already said that are his, his will. It's God's will for you to be saved. I don't have to wonder about that. I know it's God's will because he makes those statements. I'm telling you, it's a kamikaze uh, mentality to say in our hearts, I will. That's a sin against God. James 4.13 says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's arrogant to say, I will. That's a spiritually arrogant statement all day, every day. Gehazi even states his will bases it on the sureness of our living God. He says in 2 Kings 5.20, as the Lord lives. He involved God in his little arrogance. I'll run after him and get something. Listen, an arrogant mind says, my will be done instead of your will be done through me. Kamikaze Kazi had blind eyes. He had an arrogant mind. And third, he had impatient feet. I believe part of the reason that Gehazi is running out there after him is because he didn't trust God to provide for his needs. And so he had to run out and get it. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't work, right? But Gehazi's trying to do this on his own. He says, I will run after him. Uh, verse 21, Naaman saw someone running after him. If we back up to that Shunammite story in 2 Kings 4, 25, uh, in, her, in the healing of her son, we read, so she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her coming, he said to Gehazi, his servant, look, there's the Shunammite. Run at once to meet her. Run and say to her, is all well with you? Again in verse 29. He said to Gehazi, tie up your garment. Now, back then, you know, you had robes. So when the men had to run, they had to cinch up their robe and tie up their garment to the side and so that they could take off running. He said, tie up, take my staff in your hand. Don't stop to greet anybody, which would have been rude. But he's like, this is so urgent, you got to get there. But what does it say in verse 31? Gehazi went. It doesn't say he ran. I think if he ran, it would have said he ran. Everywhere else when he ran, it said he ran. But here it doesn't say he ran. <laughs> it says Gehazi went on ahead and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was no sound or sign of life. Therefore, he returned to meet him and told him, the child hasn't awakened. Can you just feel the lethargicness in the soul of Gehazi? Hmm, things of God. But he ran after that money. <laughs> Before the sin of greed comes the sin of impatience, an inability to trust God for his provisions in all that we need. As a member and servant of Elisha's, he should have known that God provides for his people. Gehazi had survived a famine by the hand of God. He had seen angels with his own eyes. He had seen the dead raised to life and he had just seen Naaman's healing. A man that he saw leprous healed. It's really sad to see the things we run after 
while simultaneously being so slow in our faith. Boy, we're so quick to these other things. I was just watching this clips of college football yesterday at the throngs and the thousands and thousands of people on their feet every time it comes by. And it's, we're, we're strained to raise a hand to God or bow our head. God help us. Friend, this, this story testifies that man doesn't improve just because of his environment. The maids and the money haulers, the servants in the story, living in apparent disadvantage were actually the heroes of heaven. They're the ones that helped bring Naaman to Christ. And, and the man who possibly had the greatest spiritual mentor in the history of mankind other than Jesus, <laughs> Elisha's your mentor, you're learning, you're sitting at the feet of Elisha. It didn't matter, he was a con man. Matthew 6, 31, therefore don't be anxious saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? Psalm 23, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. My older kids can quote this verse because I quote it to them every time they say, dad, I want. I quoted it to them for years. So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not. You say that, you use scripture on them next time. You moms and dads, yeah. But that goes both ways, men. When you ask for a four-wheeler, right? She may quote it back to you, so be careful, all right? I want to watch football. You know, it goes both ways. And by the way, Elisha didn't say to never accept support from others. Sometimes Paul in the New Testament would uh, refuse support. Other times he would receive it. But Elisha made clear in 2 Kings 5, 26, this wasn't the time to receive it. Psalm 37 verse 25 says, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. You show me a devout follower of Christ and I guarantee you, I guarantee you God's provided for him. He has food on the table and a roof over his head. Fools rush in. And in this case, fools rush out to grab Naaman and get something from him because they fail to trust in the provisions of God. It doesn't mean ministers should never work for basic provisions, right? If, if our church ever reached a financial place where we couldn't, you couldn't provide me with financial support, well, I'd go get another job, but I'd still be your pastor. And that's a fact before God. Right Now your support allows me to minister more and study more and I'm thankful for that but it may not always be that way especially as the end draws near. I'm prepared for that mentally, emotionally I think. I don't know if my family is yet. <laughs> uh, I'll move in with some of y'all. Y'all got some nice garages. All right. Mm. Kamikaze Gehazi had blind eyes, an arrogant mind, impatient feet and forth he had greedy hands. I can't help but think of, uh, you know, Christmas is just around the corner. And what is it they call themselves the Sticky Bandits? What were the Home Alone? Home Alone, you know, where he's got tape all over his fingers and he's trying to st stealing hats off kids in the, on that ice skating rink. Do y'all watch television? <laughs> Home Alone, it's only been around 73 years, all right? Good grief. It's a staple. You got to watch it every other year like white Christmas, all right? But he had greedy hands, and I, I, I think of that picture, 2 Kings 5, verse 20. See, my master spared this name in the Syrian and not accepting from his hand what he brought. As the Lord lives, I'll run after him and get something. I'm gonna get something. What a 
that's one of the most selfish statements I've seen in scripture. Greed with a capital get, greedy hands. They are an indictment to every believer, but especially spiritual leaders. And priests and prophets in the Old Testament received support, but they weren't to go beyond that to get something for themselves. And may God help us to all not see people. I hate it when people see others. We had at our church growing up an insurance guy. And I, as a kid, this guy would always come up. He was always schmoozing people to sell insurance to him in this church. And I was seven, eight years old and I didn't like that guy. And I don't like him now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I love him. I don't have to like him, right? <laughs> uh, but just always looking for something. What can I get from this person? What, a, what can I get that benefits me? Seeing people that way is a sin. And, and friend, that's why we include, uh, that's why it's good to be account, have accountability in your home finances and in your church. We have accountability. We have multiple people involved in our budget process. And I don't even, I have the authority in the church to spend up to $1,000 based on the bylaws without calling anybody, but I don't do it. I don't take that, I call Jimmy. I call the chair, whoever the chair of the finance is and say, hey, you good with this? I, I look at our budget and see how we are with our budget before I make purchases, even if it's in the budget. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm not trying to be self-righteous up here. I'm just saying accountability is good. By the way, we're a Christ-ruled church. We are a Christ-ruled church. We're not an elder-ruled church. We are pastorally or elderly-led and congregationally approved. You get to vote. There's not a leader in our church that doesn't get voted on. And I don't like the formality of the word vote, but in Scripture all through the New Testament, they were approving. And that's why you need checks and balances even in your budgets. <laughs> and so I'm thankful that we have that. And by the way, if you ever forget to give your offering after church, don't bring it and put it in my hands. You can take it to Lynn's office and put it in the door. I don't like to touch money. I, won't, I don't want to have sticky fingers. God help me. Uh, pastors today, elders, overseers, shepherds, that's all the same thing. They have qualifications in 1 Timothy 3. In verse 3, it makes clear that they shouldn't be a drunkard, a violent, they shouldn't be violent but gentle, they shouldn't be quarrelsome, and they should not be a lover of money. Tim, uh, Titus 1 verse 7 says, For an overseer as uh, God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. And I don't pretend to, to get all those right, but we need to seek to not be greedy. I pray that God would protect me and every pastor and leader in our church and every believer in this place from the love of money. Y'all know the gruesome picture uh, of this greed is found in that old story from the, uh, the native Inuits who, who would have these wolves attack them. And the wolves, you know, would get four to six feet long. They're 180 plus pounds and they would attack their villages. And so they would take a knife. Some of you have heard this. They'd sharpen that knife, that blade, till it was razor sharp. And they would dip it in the cold weather. They would dip it in cow's blood or chicken blood right? They dip it in blood and basically make a blood popsicle out of it. Then they would drive a stake into the ground and then they would fasten that knife blade up to that stake, just big old lollipop. And those wolves would get the scent of that blood and they would come and they'd begin to lick on that ice, that ice cold blood. Boy, it was good. And then they would become so satiated, so lustful for more that they would break right through that ice, slice their own tongue, and bleed to death on their own blood. Friend, that is a picture of ravenous greed. 
It's a picture of our world licking themselves, cutting their tongues, and bleeding to death from their own lust for more that can never be satiated. Philippians 1.15 says, Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Church, even as this world around us gets hateful, we can't preach Christ hatefully. We need to preach it out of love. We need to preach it because we've been shown the light of God's grace. We've been forgiven of our sins. If you're a child of God, you will never pay in eternity for one sin. And no sin will go unpunished. None. And that's something to be thankful for and to want in the lives of other people. Even my worst enemy. There are people in my life just like you that are very hard for me to love. Takes everything in me. Right? But we have to do it to honor God. Greed is a sign of discontentment with God. It's like saying, Christ is not enough for me. That's what it's like singing. When, you, when you're greedy for more, you're saying, don't sing that song if you're greedy because <laughs> he's not enough. That's why 1 Timothy 6 verse 6 says, but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich, it's nothing wrong with being rich, but if you desire it, praise God for those of you that are financially uh, savvy people. And, and squirrel away your resources in ways that honor God. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, just like that wolf licking that blade. And that's part of what happened to Gehazi. His lust for profit produced his own leprosy. Kamikaze Gehazi had blind eyes, an arrogant mind, impatient feet, greedy hands, and fifth, a lying tongue. Gehazi told five explicit lies in verse 21. All is well. These are the lies to Naaman. Four of them are to Naaman. One of them is to Elisha. All is well. My master has sent me, and this is an elaborate one. Boy, you've got to be creatively sinful for this. The Bible talks about they invent ways of doing evil. This is an example. Uh, there have just now come to me from the hill country of Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. And number four, please give them a talent of silver and two chains of clothing. Of course, Naaman's been saved, so he, he's filled with the generosity of God. And so he wants to give, he gives double to him. And by the way, he had to convince him to do it. So, so Gehazi was almost fake putting up a fight. Oh, no, no, you don't have to give me double. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks. You know, oh, you don't, you didn't have to do that. Friend, there's one thing that, of course, and then the fifth one, he says, your servant went nowhere. He said that to Elisha. But let, let me tell you something, friend. One thing you'll never do is tell one lie. <laughs> that ain't gonna happen. Nobody tells one lie. In the wisdom of those great theologians from the 1983 London band, The Fix, come these very astute words. Do what you say, say what you mean. One thing leads to... 
Uh, yeah, yeah, see, y'all, yeah. y'all listen to secular music. Shame on y'all. Woo. It says, you told me something wrong. I know I listened too long. But one thing leads to another. Then it's easy to believe somebody's been lying to me. <laughs> There's really no such thing as a singular lie. Lies are like eyes and ears. There's always more than one of them, all right? And liars need an incredible memory to keep up with all that spiritual kind. Kamikaze, that's how they, people get busted. You know, Vicky and I, we love to watch uh, people get convicted for murder. Uh, and so we watch Dateline and, and uh, Forensic Files. I don't like those ones that just leave you hanging. I like, you know, this story, though, is going to leave us hanging in a minute, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately. But in those, they always, those people always get their stories mixed up. And that's how the cops catch them. Well, wait a minute, your testimony now wasn't what it was six months ago. And uh, that's how you got to be. Kamikaze Kazi had blind eyes, arrogant mind, impatient feet, greedy hands, a lying tongue, and finally, number six, he had leprous skin. The spiritually lethargic life of Gehazi ended with a just earthly punishment. By the way, he could have gotten much worse, right? There have been worse things to happen to people in the Bible. Second Kings 5, 27 says, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and to your descendants forever. So he went out of his presence a leper like snow. And I guess I could have called this whole series, uh, these last three sermons, uh, Trading Places, because Naaman, the wicked, becomes cleansed, and Gehazi, the supposed righteous, becomes leprous. But I just felt like Kamikaze Gehazi captures his reckless attitude. And I want to end with a conundrum, all right, which I think was intentionally put there by God. Y'all know how at the end of Jonah, we really don't know what Jonah did. We don't know if Jonah repented and, and b- began to love the, these people of God. We don't know. There's a place in the New Testament where there's a story told about a tree, a vineyard. And he says, well, just let it grow for a little longer. And he says, the ax is at the root of the tree. He's not cut it down yet, but did it, did, it, did it ever produce? We don't know. So there are several places in Scripture that leave you hanging, and this is one of them. 2 Kings 8 verse 4 says we, uh, that Gehazi, the man of God, Uh, said, tell to the king uh, of Israel, Jehoram, he said, tell me all the great things Elisha has done. The king said to him. So here's Elisha, who's been, I mean, Gehazi, who's been cursed with leprosy for life three chapters later in the presence of King Jehoram. And so if he's a lifelong leper, and he's supposed to be excluded from being in the presence of others according to the law of Moses in Numbers 5, verse 2. Then why is leprous Gehazi in the king's court? So I know y'all are wondering this. <laughs> but I'm making a point here. There's four things scholars say are possible solutions. One is, though it's not in the Bible, God was merciful and Gehazi was actually cured of the disease. There, you know... Um, Maybe this part of 2 Kings doesn't follow a strict chronological order. Jeremiah has places like that where there's portions of Jeremiah that, that you know, are overlap. Uh, maybe the king didn't obey the laws regarding lepers. We know he didn't obey other parts of the law because 2 Kings 3 verse 2 says Israel's king Jehoram did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And number four, maybe the leprosy Gehazi had wasn't the type that excluded him from society. Uh, the type that excluded you was the kind that was infectious. Leviticus 13 talks all about that. But so since Gehazi had the kind that was like snow, the script, the, the 
Bible says, then maybe he didn't fall into the category uh, of exclusion. But here's the deal. I think it's an intentional conundrum. <laughs> uh, we don't know what happened. And I think it's because, you know, there's, there's places in Scripture, like with Hezekiah. Hezekiah was cursed, and then he, cried, he turned his face to the wall, and he cried out to God, no, 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 and God gave him 15 more years. Remember that story? So there are places in Scripture, even under the curse of God, they cried out and God reversed his decision. Uh, but I think God leaves us hanging here with a personal question mark. Given the facts that we have read about Naaman, stubborn Naaman, greedy Gehazi, what will you do? What are you going to do? Because we all know we're sinful enough to associate with the stubbornness of Naaman and we're selfish enough to associate with Gehazi. But what will it be? Would you stand? Father God, I pray we'll act like Naaman and, and go to the Jordan and wash. We will repent of our sins and call exclusively on the name of Jesus. I pray if there's anyone in here today that does not know you, they would not wait. You have been pursuing them. You have been giving them spiritual truth, not just in these sermons from this pulpit, but other people, prayers, thoughts while they lay in their bed at night. When they see a baptism, when they take or don't take the Lord's Supper, there's times where we are made by God to think about God so that we won't live in hell for eternity and so that we can enjoy the riches of His grace here on earth and in eternity in heaven. And I pray if there's people here that haven't called on the name of Jesus, that they would call on you now. I also pray if there's others that may need to join the church and call this place a home. Lord, there's so many people bopping around all over the place and I do pray they land in, in the right place for you, but I pray when they land, they'd stay there and they would plug in and use their spiritual gifts in the ministry and work of the local church. You say in your word, Lord, you're not coming back to get individuals. You're coming back to get your bride and your bride is the church. And so I thank you for these that are here today that have made gathering of the church a priority in their lives. I pray that they would, those that need to, would join and, and be involved in the spiritual growth of this area through this local church. We ask that we would be obedient to you Maybe we've been trusting in ourselves, running after provisions in the flesh. And we need to just put it in your hands and ask you, how do you want to do this, Lord? What do you want to do? I pray we would do whatever you say. We would follow your instructions in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been Sermon Audio from Piperton Baptist Church in Piperton, Tennessee. For more information on how you can get connected with PBC, please visit www.pipertonbaptist.com.